Our text this morning is Acts chapter 9, verses 19 through 31. So hear the word of the Lord. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priest? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was actually a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them in Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of Jesus. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Get this right here. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Let's pray. Father, that is our prayer right there that walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, that You would multiply our efforts to see Your kingdom expanded, to see Your kingdom grow. Father, um, I know that there are people in this room that are going through very trying times right now. I know that every single week. Father, I know that there are also in here that that doubt uh, the reality that Jesus is actually Lord. So Father, I pray that, that you, would, you, would, <laughs> you would comfort us, that You would meet us. And, uh, and Father, if we're content in You, may You conflict that in us so we'll be more dependent on You this morning. So we just seek all these things in Jesus' name. In His name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. So this is, if you're, if you're new here with us, we're in a series journeying through the book of Acts. And there's been a turning point in the past week where a, a man by the name of Saul of Tarsus, also known as Paul in the Bible, the Bible kind of uses his names interchangeably in Acts 13. It's, he starts going by the name Paul, so if you hear me say Paul or Saul, same guy. Uh, and so he, he, he has this really dramatic experience where God has been pursuing him, and he uh, bows his knee to Jesus because Jesus meets him on the road and blinds him. And he comes to Christ. And that's what we talked about last week. About how we're, we're either enemies of God or we're friends of God. And the only thing that matters in how those two change is what we do with Jesus. And so we talked about how Paul was a friend of Jesus because he placed his faith in Him. And it didn't really matter what he had done before. Because God was going to use him mightily. And so here we, we come across Saul's first call into the ministry. It's a delight. I mean, he's, he's threatened to be killed twice. He has to be lowered down through a wall. I mean, it's a great, I mean, it's a great experience. I mean, who wouldn't want to experience this? I'm reminded of my first call into the Gospel ministry. As I told you earlier, I became a Christ follower at around the age of 13, 14. 
And uh, <clears throat> I had a church approach me uh, by the name of Fellowship Baptist Church in Lawrenceburg, Kentucky, uh, when I was 17 years old and asked me to be the youth pastor. 17. So I'm in high school, and I am... I have students that are older than me. Literally, I had a student older than me, and I'm the youth pastor of this, this ministry. I, funny story, I, uh, I, so I, I coached the, our basketball team, but I also played on it. You have like one of those church league basketball teams. And that year was a good uh, year for me. Uh, it was a very humbling year for me because I realized how much I didn't know, and I, realized a, I noticed a very valuable lesson in that year of ministry for me. Because at the end of that year, I was ready to get out. I was conflicted. I was doubting God's call in my life and my call into the, the ministry. But here's what I realized. Is that it's dangerous to do for God without being with God. It's dangerous to try to do for God and not be with God. And so God really wrecked my life that year. God needed to take me uh, through a wilderness season through a desert so that I might draw close to Him. He had to take me into the, the wilderness where I would doubt those things so that I would depend more on Him. And here is what I have realized about, uh, about ministry, about gospel calling, because this is what we're going to look at today is, is what makes up a, a, a call of God. We all, we all want to know what God wants us to do, don't we? I mean, I have a conversation with at least one person a week in the church Asking, I just really don't know what God wants me to do. Or I have a person, I have a conversation probably once a week where someone's really doubting the call of God on their life. Sometimes that person I'm having the conversation with is myself. We're all in that place, right? I mean, we're, we doubt what God has shown us and things get muddy. And I have to imagine that, that Saul may have been in, in the same place. I mean, here God's called him to gospel ministry and he's, his life has been threatened twice. Already, I mean, they're trying to get... It's not just like they don't like Saul. He's not one of the cool kids. That's not it. They want to kill him. They're out for blood. They're after Saul. So if you're in a place where you're doubting God's call on your life or God's call in your life is muddy, uh, today is going to be a good day for you because we're going to explore that very subject today. Here's our big idea of where we're going. The call to God is the key to discovering the call of God. The call to God is the key for us to discover the call of God on our lives. So I want to remind you of what happened in Acts chapter 9 if you weren't with us last week. Acts 9, 15 and 16, God calls this man by the name of Ananias to speak truth to Paul, to come in to, to meet him. And he says this to, to Ananias, he says, go, for he is a chosen instrument, he's talking about Saul here, to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel. And then he says this, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So the call of God for Paul was a call to suffer. Just like it was the same for Jesus, the call to be obedient to the Father was a call to suffer. That it wasn't always going to be roses for either of these men, but God used their suffering tremendously. He didn't waste any of it. So as we get into this, I think it's real important that we kind of look at the timeline of what's going on, because actually in Acts 9.19 through Acts 31, it seems like it's a few minutes 
but it's actually a three-year period. You know, Luke just writes it down like it just happened all overnight. This is a three-year period, and we know this because of what Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1. So let's look at the timeline of what's happening in Acts chapter 9, 19 through 31 here. So in, in Acts 9, uh, the beginning of Acts 9, we see the conversion on the way to Damascus. And then we see uh, after that, there's this brief stay in Damascus. So his, his sight has been restored. He spiritually uh, can see now. Uh, and then he begins to immediately go to the people that he was going to persecute. And he begins to preach a different message to them. The Gospel. And it's interesting because the, 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 the theme of his message is a very familial theme. The, the Gospel that he preaches that he is the Son of God. He actually is God's Son. And that was significant because of the relationship that he now has with the Father through the Son. Then there's this seclusion in Arabia. Luke doesn't say anything about this in, in uh, Acts chapter 9. But we're going to look at this in Galatians 1. So he's, he's in Arabia. The Scriptures say that somewhere between Arabia and Damascus, he spends about three years there. Really interesting to think about. So uh, then he comes back to Damascus for some time. And then what happens there? They, they have a plot uh, to kill him. Uh, they want to uh, take his life. And in Damascus, we've seen that, that Paul had this advocate because he was a scary dude, right? He was scary. He was killing people. And they're like, dude, I don't know if this guy is really a disciple or not. Disciple just kind of seems like a convenient way to lure us all in and then kill us, right? I mean, they're just kind of, they're kind of pushing back on that idea, but Ananias steps up and he, he's an advocate for Saul. And then he has to be lowered down through a, 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 a hole in the wall in Damascus uh, in a basket. So it kind of reminds you of Moses kind of floating down the river in a basket. <laughs> Saul is, is lowered down through a wall in the middle of the night and, and they make an escape to Jerusalem. Well, I can only imagine that things are probably going to get better in Jerusalem, right? Uh, not so much. As Paul goes back into Jerusalem, uh, he wants to meet uh, with the apostles there because um, you know he's, he's been called of God by God. which That's what makes someone an apostle. So he's been called directly from God. But he wasn't called like the other 12 men. He was called in a different way. He was met after Jesus had ascended. He was met by God on the road to Damascus. And, uh, and so they're just kind of doubting the legitimacy of this. But you'll notice there's another advocate that comes in and advocates uh, on behalf of Saul. And his name is Barnabas. So we see that, that, that he meets with the apostles and Barnabas there. And then uh, lastly, we, we notice that there's a departure because uh, once again, persecution arises. They don't like the message that Saul is bringing into Jerusalem. And so they try to kill him again. And then he, uh, then he heads off uh, for Tarsus. And then, so we got all this going on over the course of three years that, that uh, Luke writes in a couple of paragraphs here. And then he closes with this. He kind of gives this summary of what's happened in these three years. Now, when we look at those three years at first, we're like, man, this is going terrible. This is not the way I would have drawn this thing up. And some of you think the same thing about your life. Like, I wouldn't have drawn myself up to be in the position that I'm in right now. And see, we, we're tempted to think that we are kind of, we're God and that we, we know what's best and that we, uh, uh, if things aren't going our way, then it must not be God. Listen to this theme uh, that Luke gives about the last three years of Saul's ministry. So the church 
throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria. Now keep in mind kind of our theme verse, Acts 1.8. That the Gospel would go to Jerusalem, to all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. So God is doing that work. And He's doing it through this guy that used to kill Christians who's now being persecuted. Saul walks into Damascus wanting to persecute Christians. He leaves as a persecuted Christian. I mean, tell me God can't change hearts. I mean, He doesn't. So, and what's happening after this, the church is being built up, and so it had peace and it was being built up. Now, this peace right here is not the way that we typically think about peace in the world. Because the way that we think about peace in the world is like this. Is that we, we say that it's a lack of conflict. That's not biblical peace. Biblical peace is this Hebrew word, shalom. And shalom is a holistic peace. It's the, the fabric of societies being re-knit together through God. So, so it's, a, it's kind of a surpassing, it surpasses conflict. It surpasses all of those things. So there's this harmony between the world and God once again through the Gospel. In these places that he's talking about. The church is being built up. And, and what was the result of this happening? How did the church walk? How did they live? Acts 9.31 says this, "...in walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied." What a statement. I think that tells us something about how we are called to walk as the church. The fear of the Lord. The reverence of the Lord. I've shared with you guys the story before about the kids that used to wear uh, Jesus Isn't My Homeboy church shirts to church and the conversations that we had that were fun. But, but the reverence that, that God requires is, is a real reverence. Jesus, yes, did He incarnate and become one of us to save us? Yes, but He is holy other than. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. So walking in the fear of this, I mean, they had saw Ananias and Sapphira drop dead for their deceit and for their lying to the apostles. They saw them drop dead. I mean, that, that instills a little bit of fear in a good way about the holiness of God. And in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. The comfort of the Holy Spirit has to do with inner peace and inner strength, not lack of conflict. So sometimes the Holy Spirit is comforting you and it doesn't feel like the Holy Spirit is comforting you. The outcome of the Holy Spirit comforting us is always a deeper dependence upon Jesus. It always leads us to that place. It's not the Holy Spirit bringing us comfort if we're getting farther away from Jesus. And so sometimes, a lot of times, God uses circumstances to draw us into a deeper dependence of Jesus. And some of you are going through very tough circumstances today. Not, not, not tomorrow, I'm not talking about some make-believe person, I'm talking about today. It's critical for you today to hear this. That God is with you. Scott Sauls, a pastor of a church in Nashville, in a book that he wrote called Jesus Outside the Lines, says it like this, Christianity always flourishes most as a life-giving minority, not as a powerful majority. It's good for us to remember this in the midst of a political year and season, is it not? It is through subversive, countercultural acts of love, justice, and service for the common good that Christianity has always gained the most ground. That's what's happening in Acts chapter 9. That's why Luke can write what he writes about what the church is doing even in the midst of persecution. 
Now here's the thing, here's where I got the idea from the sermon. is as I began to look in Galatians chapter 1, and I began to look in other parts of Scripture, I noticed a theme about Saul, or Paul, whichever name you want to call him. I noticed a theme about him that he's always returning to his call. I mean, over and over and over again, he's recounting the fact that God called him to himself. And the paradox for us is this, I feel like we are always asking God what he wants us to do for him. And I notice that Paul doesn't ask that question as much, but he's always remembering that his call is from God. And this is kind of the big idea of the sermon. Once again, the call to God is the key to discovering the call of God. So he's recounting his call to God. I mean, think about Acts chapter 9. We've just read it. Acts 22, 26, he's recounting his testimony to different rulers. Romans chapter 1, he's talking about his call. 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Timothy 1, 12 through 17. 2 Corinthians 10 through 12. Philippians 3, 4 through 11. And Galatians chapter 1. These are just to name a few. Paul's always looking back at what God has done to call him to himself. And yet, all we want to do is move forward. There's something to be gained about looking back for us to effectively move forward in the kingdom. That's what we've got to realize today, church. So let's get into it. i got two points I want to share with you. The first one is this. God calls us to Himself. The second one is this. God calls us to His purposes in the world. So let's look at Galatians chapter 1 together this morning. Now Galatians chapter 1, as you're turning there, is kind of a commentary on Acts chapter 9. It's Paul given expanding the details of that summary that we get from Luke in, in the book of Acts. And here's how he says, here's how he kind of gives us the summary of that. I'm going to read it, Galatians 1, uh, 13-24. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. These are his words. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. And then there's a transition. But, circle that, underline that. Something happens in Saul's life, and that's the Damascus Road, all right? But, when he who had set me apart before I was born, it wasn't that God just decided, oh, you know, I want to stop Saul from going to persecute my church. God had this in mind before Saul was ever born that this was how he would come to faith in Jesus and how he would use him. He who set me apart before I was born and who called me by His grace was pleased to reveal His Son to me. Do you remember the message of Paul in Damascus when he was in the synagogue? What did he say? He is the Son of God. He's, he's seen God in a new light through His Son. That's the message he can't get out of his mind in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And notice this. I did not immediately consult with anyone. He didn't, he didn't just go and start talking to his buddies about this. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing you, before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing it said, 
He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith He once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of it. So, what's significant about Galatians 1? Galatians 1 is significant because of Arabia. So what is there for us in this whole kind of detailed description of what what it looked like for him for three years? Why did he go to Arabia for three years? I mean, wasn't there a mission at hand? Didn't God give us, you know, Acts 1-8 for a reason? Shouldn't he hightail it after the mission and do as much as he possibly can for God? He knew that there was a necessary step before going to do that. Because he does. He plants the church across the world. Paul takes the church to the world, to the nations. But before he does this, he takes three years off. Now why does he take three years off? Maybe this is, maybe it's a way to look at Paul's seminary training. Or maybe, maybe the three years is significant because Jesus spent three years with his other disciples. Maybe he spent three years with Paul in the desert. Who knows? I, I, I'm just speculating here. But it seems like mission neglect to our American progressive minds, doesn't it? It seems like, oh, he's just being selfish. But he goes to the desert for the same reason that all men of the Bible go to the desert. To meet God. To meet the Father. To cultivate a relationship with the Father. Think about Moses after after he... uh, kills the Egyptian, what does he go? He goes to the desert. I think he's out there for like 40 years. And God meets him in a burning bush, draws him back to himself, sets him back on the mission. Think about Jesus. What is he, how does he inaugurate his public ministry? He goes in the desert for 40 days and fasts. He's tempted by the enemy. They go to the desert to be with the Father. So that, that, that begs me to ask this question. Where is the Arabia of your heart? Where is the space in your life where you are cultivating the relationship with the Father? Because for Paul, the thing that was foremost in his mind is that God called him. Not that he was supposed to go do something for God. That God called him. He, he, he remembers what it was like to be such a rotten sinner, to be so zealous and so out of whack at the same point. He, he remembers what it's like to be opposed to God, but he remembers that God called him. And so the, the, his relationship with the Father through the Son is all that he has in his mind as he's writing letters to the churches, as he's loving on the church, as he's sharing the Gospel with the Gentiles, he's thinking about the Father. And I think we neglect this. We have this it's like we have this idea that, that we can kind of bypass that. That we can, just, we can just go do some work for God and not cultivate the relationship with the Father. What if we looked at it like this. What if the real work was praying and cultivating the relationship with the Father? I mean, where is the Arabia in your week? I mean, do you have a Sabbath? This is something that has been really pressed into my heart and to the leadership of our church's heart. The significance of Sabbath, how it's the only commandment that we look at and just kind of brush away. And we think, oh, we're Americans. We don't need a Sabbath. We can do without that. Where is the Arabia of your day? How do you begin your day? Or do you just, you just think you can just bypass being with the Father and get on with the world's work? I'm not trying to draw a binary kind of conclusion here. I think they're integrated. But I know that if we don't cultivate the relationship with the Father, that it's very likely that we're not going to be doing the Father's business throughout the day. <clears throat> think about, I think about Hosea uh, 6.6. Now Hosea is this guy that is a prophet and God calls him to marry a prostitute named Gomer. 
for the purpose of Hosea knowing what it's like to be wed to Israel. The unfaithfulness that he experiences. And Hosea writes about this in the first three chapters of Hosea are kind of cultivating that, uh, <clears throat> that line of, of thought about how it all goes down. And then the, the rest of Hosea is really all kind of the accusations against Israel. And listen to what Hosea 6.6 says. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. So, so what is he saying here? He's saying that calling is an identity before it's an activity. We've got to cultivate the knowledge of God to be filled. Our hearts have to be filled with the knowledge of God and the Word of God. We've got to hide it in our hearts because if not, there's no way we're going to be doing the will of the Father throughout the day. It's impossible for us to do. I think about this quote from Augustine where he says, You have made us for Yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in You. There's this, there's this priority of pursuing the Father about pursuing and remembering the call to the Father and the work that the Son did so that we could be secure with the Father. Salvation for us isn't just this past thing. It's this present and future thing that God is doing in and through His people. I think about my, uh, my kids when I think about this. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I have four kids. They are ages six, four, two, and one. And a vignette I want to give you of life in our family is from our one-year-old, Maggie Grace. Uh, whenever I get home from work, uh, I uh, kind of say a quick prayer before I go in so that I can be dad and kind of be on uh, and make sure, you know, Megan's still alive, that kind of stuff. And uh, I walk into the door, and, and the way that it's been working since Maggie has been mobile is that uh, for a few, few days I didn't even notice it, but I'll walk in and uh, Maggie will hear the door open and she'll start at this point, she was crawling, but now she's walking. She'll start just pounding away, coming to try to find Dad. Now, I would, I, I would acknowledge the kids that could talk to me, but I wouldn't acknowledge Maggie. And then we, Megan and I finally realized that Maggie was coming to find me. She was coming to find me. And so every day when I get home, she comes. It doesn't matter what part of the room she is in or what part of the house she's in. If she's really playing with her favorite things, which are the pots and pans that she likes to bang together, she drops all of that and she comes to her dad. Because she wants to be with her Father. This is what our Heavenly Father is after in us. Is that kind of pursuit when we know God is near that we would we drop whatever it is and come and be with our Father. With Maggie, she doesn't, she doesn't understand that, that mom and dad sacrificed to give her the life that she has. She doesn't understand, um, she doesn't understand a lot of things. But what she does understand is the most important thing that dad's home and she wants to be with him. And friends, dad is home and he wants to be with us. He's with us. This is what he's after in us. So after we look at that, after we think about that, after we think on God, then we can ask the question, God, what are you calling us to? After we spend the three years in Arabia, then we could say, God, how can I join your purposes in the world? Secondly, God calls us to His purposes in the world. The Westminster Shorter Catechism, the first question is this, what is the chief end of man? So what's the most important thing in life is that question. What's the chief end of man? And the answer to that, some of you know this, is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. 
To, to, make, to make God the prize of our affections, uh, to make God the treasure, to make His Son exalted in every part of our life, uh, to, to, to taste the sweetness, to, to know that Dad's home and, and to seek Him no matter where you're at in the house. It's, it's, to, it's to seek first the Father. That's, that's what God's after in us. And then from there we get to see what the purposes of God are in the world and how we can join them. I think of Ephesians chapter 2.10 when I think about calling. Because we're all asking the question, God, what do you want, to, want me to do? Some of you are in college, you're saying, hey, what, should, what uh, degree should I pursue? Some of you are, are thinking, man, I don't know if my job really lines up with my passions and, and desires. And, and some of you are maybe retired and you're thinking, hey, what do I do with my time now that I'm not working a nine to five every day? You're saying, what is my calling? What am I, what am I supposed to do with my life? And some of us don't like the callings that God's given us because they, are, they seem mundane. Can I get an amen, moms? That calling as a mom. I mean, it just feels like you know, I'm, I'm kind of stuck with this for the next 18 years or whatever. And sometimes it's more joyful than others, but it, it doesn't seem very rewarding. That call of God that He's called us to cultivate, uh, He's called us to pursue from our relationship with the Father. Ephesians 2.10 says it like this, for we are His workmanship. We are His work. That word in the Greek means poem. It's the same word that we get poem out of. We're His poem. We're His creation. And, and poetry is not like this. It's not this creation that's just kind of static and still. It's this beautiful kind of dynamic creation. We're His poem. And we're created for Christ to do His good works. No. We are created in Christ for good works. So those good works are the things that we're after in our calling. That's, those are the purposes that we want to join in on. So here's what we got to know about those good works is this. God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in them. So these are Jesus' good works in the world that we're about. And we walk in those good works that Jesus has prepared for us beforehand because all dominion and authority has been given to Him. So we walk in those. So we find, out, we find out what it's like to pursue the calling that God has for us as we pursue the Father because these good works that we're supposed to walk in are in Jesus. They're not outside of Jesus out here in la-la land. No, they're, they're, in, they're, they're within our relationship with God. And when our hearts and our minds are full of God's Word, we're much less inclined to ask the question, what should I be doing? You know what I'm saying? I think sometimes we just want to get busy so that we can feel better about ourselves and our, our Christian identity. But when we fill our minds with God's Word, friends, when life gets muddy, go back to the call. Go back to the Word. And God brings clarity as we hide His Word in our hearts, as we walk it out in life. I think about Romans chapter 12, Verse 2, he says, do not be conformed. This is Paul speaking again here. Paul in both of these. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Okay, that sounds good. I'm listening. By the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God. We're all after the will of God. Which we desperately want. We want to please our Father. What is good and acceptable and perfect. You know what I hear in this verse right here? I hear the residue of Arabia. Of Paul's time in Arabia. I hear the residue of it. 
I, I hear the residue of, of him seeking the Lord where he could be found in the desert, and, and everything else is still, everything else is silence, just Paul and the Lord. And I'm reminded that if we fail to pause, it could be entirely possible that we will not be doing the Father's good works, but we'll be doing our own. So to land this plane here, how is God specifically calling us to join His purposes in the world? I don't want to leave you up in the clouds. I want to give you some real practical things to wrestle through this, some principles to wrestle through this uh, as, we, as we go on our way today. First thing is this, discover God's call for the world through His Word. Discover God's call through the world, for the world through His Word. You can ask this question, what's God doing in the world? I think a lot of times we ask that question and we look to the world to see what God's doing. But I think our first glance ought to be back to the Word. Because we're, we're tempted to look at like our political climate now and think, man, the world is really going to hell in a handbasket. Yet there are people coming to faith in Jesus in, in magnitudes that they've never come to faith in Christ before in other parts of the world. God is he's fulfilling the Great Commission even though it doesn't feel like it right now. He's, he's showing us who His true church is and, and who the imposters are in the world right now. He's doing that work. And we discover that by looking first at the Word and then funneling our vision and our view of the world through His Word. We have to start with the Father. Specific calling works itself out in community through His Word and by the Spirit. Those are the, we, we talk about this often at New City, those are the three kind of metrics for spiritual maturity. God's people, God's Word, God's Spirit. And uh, all of those things have to be in place for us to mature. You'll not see anyone in the Bible who matures apart from that. God's people, God's Word, God's Spirit. So the first thing is God's Word. Second thing is this, discover yourself in relation to God. How has God made and shaped me? I want to share two quotes with you. The first one is from Augustine again. And he says this, Lord, let me know myself and let me know You. He's, he's after the pursuit of the knowledge of God and also the pursuit of the knowledge of Himself. Because, because how God has made and shaped us oftentimes kind of gives us a hint to what He's called us to, how He's called us to join His purposes in the world. The second one comes from John Calvin. He says this, Our wisdom, insofar as, it might ought, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely in two parts. He says the same thing. The knowledge of God and of ourselves. But as these are connected together by many ties, it is not easy to determine which of the two proceeds and gives birth to the other. <laughs> so he's saying, look, I don't really know which comes before the other, but what's important is this, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of self. Those two things are important as we walk out God's Word together. And I'll say this, our calling of God, our calling of what God wants us, how He wants us to participate in His work in the world, it never overlooks the thing that's right in front of our face. I've always noticed that. Because a lot of times we can want to get onto greener pastures, things other than what are right in front of us. It, we never see it overlooking, you know, we, we never see Paul... Uh, overlooking the things that are going on in Damascus and in, uh, in Jerusalem early on in his ministry to get onto the, the, the more grand uh, 
uh, horizons of, of, uh, of Rome and Galatia and, and Ephesus and, and all of those places. We never see him kind of escaping that. We never see God call him to escape that. The call of God always uh, uh, engages us right where we're at. So what is it that's right in front of you right now that you just, you just don't want to have any part of? Maybe it's a situation at work. Maybe uh, it's, uh, it's a relationship that is uh, real tough. You know, um, Have you ever thought that God might be after something in you in the middle of that? And maybe His plan is not to, for you to hit the, you know, the, to, to, to pull the ripcord so you can you know, escape the situation, to, to hit the eject button so you can kind of get out of there. But maybe it's that God is working out His plan and His call in your life through those situations. Because yes, it's a knowledge of God, but it's also a knowledge of self. And all of those things that you've gone through in life are shaping your call. They're shaping what God wants to do in you and through you in the world. He's using all of those failures, all of those things that you want to get out of your life. He's using every single one of those things. And He's after you. He's after your heart. And then as you discover His heart, He allows us such a beautiful thing to participate in His work in the world. Lastly, this. Discover what burdens your heart. Ask this question. How am I uniquely gifted to reflect God's heart to the world? All of us carry around different burdens. And a lot of times we're tempted to escape them or to bow to them. Um, But what would it look like for us to discover who God is through His Word, to discover ourselves, and then to participate as we see kind of what burdens us, what we can't let go. And there's lots of different things that, that God cares about that you also care a lot about. And I think that you care about those things because God has put those desires in your heart. And so first, when you're asking God, what am I called to in the world? Maybe it's vo- through vocation or maybe through where you live or how to participate in His mission. Look at what just, you just can't get out of your mind that God seems to care about. Maybe it's orphans. Maybe it's widows. Maybe, uh, maybe it's racial reconciliation. Uh, maybe it's uh, <clears throat> you know, ministering to folks that have different socioeconomic statuses. Maybe, maybe it's uh, mentoring young men at Richards Middle School. Uh, maybe it's foster care or adoption. I mean, the list can go on and on. I can keep going here. And you probably know what God is, keep, keeps bringing up in your life. Well, don't let that go because God's not going to let it. He's going to keep pressing that into you. And God's probably going to allow you to join His purposes in some way on down the road. Or maybe right now, maybe He's calling you to it right now. I want to bring you back to the big idea and then share one more verse with you. Our big idea today is this. The call to God is the key to discovering the call of God. We see that all over Acts chapter 9 and Galatians 1. Megan and I were praying about where God was calling us to plant a church. And (laughs) I was like asking for everybody else's opinion except seeking the Lord. I just wanted somebody to tell me, oh, you should go there. They really need a church. And I was ready to go. And thank God (laughs) I didn't have to find God's will that way because that probably would have been filled with lots of painful experiences. But I talked to this guy who who actually offered us uh, a position in St. Louis. His name is John. And John said, hey man, when you're in a situation like this, remember the words of Psalm 37.4. 
Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. And we think about that we're like, man, sometimes my desires aren't good. Will you really give me those things? But here, we're missing the first part when we, when we look at it like that because he says, hey, the first glance is to delight yourself in the Lord. You know what delighting yourself in the Lord does? It purifies your desires. When you delight yourself in the Lord, you care about the things that God cares about. You repent of the sins that, that, that are keeping you from caring about those things and pursuing the Father in that way. And He gives us the desires of our heart because you know why? Because they're actually His desires inside of us. It's real easy for Him to, to grant that request because it's what He's been after all along. So as we align ourselves to the Father, then we can align ourselves with His purposes in the world. And that's a, that's a grand thing that I pray uh, the people in New City Church would, would be passionate about. So let's pray together. Our Father, we are after Your heart. And uh, there is no shortcut to Your heart. It requires effort. It requires stillness. It re requires seasons in the Arabian desert to see You clearly. So Father, would You meet us this morning? Father, some of us need to be convicted of our sin, of our busyness, of our lack of care about, about You, about your, the, your purposes in the world. We're just really about our agenda. Others of us, we need to be comforted. We need to be comforted and reminded that You're not done with us. Help us wherever we're at to see Jesus as exalted and lifted high. Help us to see that His Spirit comes to comfort us as Acts 9.31 says. And Lord, we want to see the church be multiplied. So would You do that work in us this morning? So in Jesus' name we pray.